Shalom, and I hope all is well. My name is Yitzchak Schiffman. Thanks for tuning into this podcast, and I hope you enjoy the Torah classes in it. Now, on to the episode. Shalom, everyone. Hope all is well. Zat Hashem, we're continuing on today in Mesechet Sanhedrin with Vav Amud Aleph, 6a. We're going to... Uh, begin at Gufa, which is the third line on the page. Zat Hashem, our learning today should be a source of zechut, uh, of merit, for Afuash Leima, for Yaakov ben Dina. And today's Amud, Vav Mud Aleph, is going to have two sections. The first section is going to be a continuum of the Machloket Amorayim we left off yesterday of Shmuel and Rabbi Avo. We'll discuss that, bring challenges. And then the second section we'll get more into towards the bottom of the page will be a discussion about this idea of Pshara. How many judges are necessary for compromise or arbitration? And that will really lead us to tomorrow's, to tomorrow's discussion, which will be on Vav Mudbet, Bezat Hashem. So before we start, let's just remember what we left off yesterday. So we left off yesterday with a machloket amoraim, between Shmuel and Rabbi Avo. Shmuel was of the opinion that there is a position in the Tanaim, the Rabbanan, who hold that if you had less than three people judging a case, means judging a monetary case, say loans, the halacha would be that the outcome is binding. Meaning, you can have a court case that is adjudicated even with two people, as we said yesterday. It's called Beit Din Chatzuf. It's an insolent court, but it's effective. That was at least in the position of the Rabbana. Rabbi Avos said, everybody agrees, such a court case would not be binding, that's not effective, because you need three judges in order to judge monetary cases. So we're going to pick up now and challenge this position of Rabbi Avo, who says monetary cases are not allowed to be adjudicated with less than three judges. Gufa says the Gemara, we're quoting what we had mentioned yesterday, I'm Rabbi Avo. Rabbi Avo says, Shnaim Shedanu Dine Momonot, if two people judge the case of monetary law, so like we said yesterday, although there is debate, and we'll get to at the end of the day today, regarding pshara, regarding arbitration compromises, that maybe you can have less than three for compromises, but you cannot have less than three for regular court cases, and therefore, if two people judged a monetary case, Rabbi Yavo said, everyone will agree it's not an effective outcome. It's entirely reversed. The, the psak is not binding. Asks the Gemara, Kashan Rabbi Yavo, Eiteve, we have a Mishnah, Mesechet Bechorot, and the Mishnah says as follows. Eiteve, Rabbi Yavo, Rabbi Yavo, Rabbi Yavo, challenged Rabbi Yavo from the Mishnah in Bechorot, and it says as follows. The Mishnah says, Dan et hadin. If one judge, and Rashi says, we're not talking about a mumcha, we're not talking about a uh, judge with smicha, we're talking about a hediot, an ordinary person who judges a case. Vizika et hachayav, and he makes a mistake, and he makes innocent or validates the one who's really chayav, who's responsible, who's liable, or he makes liable the one that's, that's uh, innocent, meaning he gives one person money that the other person really deserved, so he paskins wrong, or or he contaminated, he said something is tameh, which was really tahor, or vice versa, and as Rashi adds in, the Gemara later is going to tell us not only did he do that, but he did some sort of a physical action in order to illustrate the psak or to carry out the psak. For example, he paskin that they came to one person, he paskin that Ruven owed Shimon money, and he 
took the money from Reuven and gave it to Shimon. Or in the case of Tuman Tara, he paskin this meat is Tameh, and he put it amongst Tameh things to illustrate that it was Tameh. So he did some sort of physical action to carry out the psak that he had determined. So the Mishnah there says, Masha Asa Asui, the psak that he has set, he has set forth is done, it's accepted, but since he made a mistake, restitution needs to be made. He has to pay from his house. Now let's just speak out. What does that mean? It means the court case is not overturned. His psak is upheld. And therefore, if Shimon is holding on to money that's not really coming to him, he could turn to this judge and say, you said I could keep this money, I'm allowed to keep this money. I don't have to give the money back to Reuven. I, he paskin wrong. Okay, so he caused damage to Reuven in paskining wrong, and therefore he'll have to pay back the judge who made a mistake, will have to pay back Reuven for the damage that he caused him. But what do you see? This is a lone judge. This is a single judge. And yet, it seems that the court, the case, is upheld. Because if it was completely not binding, so that it should be entirely undone, we're not saying it's entirely undone. It's upheld, and the judge has to make restitution for his damage. But what you see is, because he made a mistake, but what you see is an individual person poskening in a court case, it is effective. Is it cash on Rabbi Avot? The Gemara answers, no. Rabbi Avot says, really, in a normal case of regular monetary discussions. For example, you would need three judges. But and what is this Mishnah talking about? What happened was the two litigants, let's say in the case of money, they approached an individual and they said, we want you to adjudicate our case. Rabbi Yavah would agree, even though for it to be a proper court case, you usually need three. But if two people, two litigants approach an individual and say, we want you to adjudicate our case, he could adjudicate the case as far as they're concerned. If they say they want one person to do it, this person is allowed to do it. That's perfectly acceptable. So the Gemara says that's why it would be binding because they accepted this guy as their judge in the first place. But in a normal case of monetary cases, certainly you need three. Says the Gemara, but that doesn't make sense. If they accepted him as their, their judge, so then why does he have responsibility because of an error that he made after the fact? He should be exempt. He should be exonerated from this. Iachi, the Gemara says, if that's true, why will he be responsible to make restitution for the mistake that he made? Once they accept him to be their judge as an individual, he should be exempt. So the Gemara says, because these two litigants can say to him, did you judge for us din Torah? Meaning, did you paskin in accordance with Torah? You made a mistake. We accepted you as the judge under the circumstances that you would paskin in accordance with Din Torah in the right way. You made a mistake. So now, since you made a mistake, you're responsible to make restitution. But the bottom line is, it comes out that there's a gray area here. In regards to undoing the entire psak, no. Rabbi Yavo says, in the end of the day, if they accepted him as their judge, so therefore his psak is binding, and therefore the litigant who had received money in the wrong way, actually, doesn't have to pay back. He could say, look, you paskined in my favor, and that's, that's something we accepted. But regarding the damaged party over here, end of the day, this judge made a mistake, and now he'll have to make restitution to that damaged party. And therefore, he has to pay back, he has to pay back from his house to restore the money to the person who had to pay it because it was the inappropriate thing for him to have to pay.
Okay. And he said, I don't really understand now how you're explaining the Mishnah. What mistake did this fellow make? This judge that they had accepted as a lone judge. What was the mistake that he made? If you'll say, he made a mistake regarding a explicit Mishnah. It means there's an explicit Mishnah. The, the halacha is clear. And he made a mistake regarding that. So in such a case, it's binding, but he has to make restitution like a mazik, like a damager. The problem is that can't be because Amar of Sheshet, Amar Rabbi Ami, or Amar of Asi, the halacha is to Abid Mishnah. If a judge makes a mistake in the psak, in something that's explicit in a Mishnah, Chozer, the entire case is overturned. Meaning we say is, if he made a mistake in something that's obvious and it's written Mefurash, clearly in a Mishnah, it's not binding, and then he just has to make restitution. The entire case is undone because he made an, a mistake in something that's a mefurish mishnah. So that can't be what he made a mistake in because then he shouldn't be responsible to make restitution. Ella, so the Gemara says, rather, what was the mistake that he made? He made a mistake in something that's not explicit in a Mishnah, but rather something that is contingent on shikuladat. What is shikuladat? It means calculation of the mind, something that requires logical deduction. This isn't what he made a mistake. So, hey, chidami v'shikuladat. What is the example of shikuladat? It means, what is an example where he makes a mistake in some sort of a logical conclusion, and it'll be binding, but he'll have to make restitution because of the mistake that he made. Amar of Papa, Papa says, Kegon tre tanai, meaning like this, where there is a machloket of two tanayim. There's some sort of a debate between tanayim, the tre amorai, or two amorayim. So there's some debate between the rabbis in a certain halacha. They argue with each other. But it doesn't state explicitly in the Gemara, in the Sfarim, it doesn't state explicitly who the halacha follows, which of the two sides. However, the general consensus in the world amongst judges is like one of the parties. So meaning the generally accepted belief is like one of the two Tanayim, like one of the two Amorayim. So this judge went in this court case and he followed like the other of the Tanayim or the other of the Amorayim. This is the definition of Shikul Hadat. So in such a scenario, it emerges like this. Rabbi Yavah would say, again, generally to judge monetary cases, you need three. If the litigants accept upon themselves, we want one person to judge us, that's fine. But the only thing is, he has to judge Alpi Torah. Now, if he makes a mistake in a Mishnah that's clear, that's explicit, well, then the entire thing is undone. So what's that Mishnah talking about? He made a mistake in regards to something requires logical conclusion. So what does that mean? It means there's some machloket in Tanai between Tanaim or Amoraim. The general consensus amongst judges is like one side. He went and paskin like the other side. So that's considered a mistake. The litigant who received the money, which was inappropriate, but he received it, he could say, you made a psak based on one of the Tanaim or Amoraim. I could retain my money now. But the other litigant who money had been taken from him inappropriately, he could say you made a mistake because the general consensus is not in the view that you said to us. And therefore, the case is binding, 
but the judge now has to make restitution to the hurt party, to the one who he damaged, by causing him to pay inappropriately. That's the outcome of this. So therefore, we've resolved Rabbi Avo. It's not a contradiction. And uh, let's continue on now. Now, what the Gemara is about to do is to say, perhaps, this machloket amoraim, Shmuel and Rabbi Avo, is actually a machloket tanaim. Now, the Gemara does this sometimes, where we have some sort of an amoraic debate, which is a later generation. Amoraim were after the tanaim. Tanaim are generally the people listed in Mishnayot and Brightaot. And Amoraim are the people listed in the Gemara, later generation. So what the Gemara is going to do is to say, we know we have this machloket Amoraim, but as we're going to try to illustrate from a Tanaic source, really there's a reflection of this in a machloket Tanaim. Now in general, the Gemara does not like when this happens. And the reason is because if there's an earlier debate amongst the Tanaim, why would later Amoraim argue about this again as if it's a new debate? They could just say, I follow the earlier Tana X. The other one could say, I follow the earlier Tana uh, Y. The fact that they're arguing later as if it's their own debate implies there's no Machloket earlier. So the Gemara says, let's see if this is a Machloket Tanaim and we'll refute that it's not necessarily the same debate. Lema Ketanai. So let's suggest this Machloket, Shmuel and Rabbi Avo, is actually contingent on an earlier debate. Now just let's get clear again. What is this Machloket, Shmuel and Rabbi Avo? Shmuel is of the opinion... Shmuel is of the opinion that a court case judged by uh, less than three people, let's say two people, is considered a binding reality. It's considered a uh, binding outcome. The outcome, even though it's considered beitin chatsuf, it's insolent, it's inappropriate, but it is nonetheless binding. Rabbi Yavo said, no, nobody holds that way. None of the Tanaim hold that way. There's no machlokits uh, regarding that. Everyone agrees that if you judge with less than three people, it's not effective. Says the Gemara, So let's suggest that this is actually reflective in an earlier machloket. The, the Raita says as follows. Bitsua, Rashi learns Bitsua is a pshara. It's very interesting. Bitsua is a compromise. Bitsua to be botseya is to break bread. It's actually the language we use. Habotseya, someone that breaks the bread. You break it in half. So a compromise, I guess, is the usage of it's not going to be actually the, the meted out halacha as it should be, but rather some sort of a compromise. Everybody gets part. I guess that's the idea. Bitsua, when it comes to pshara, Rashi says, compromise, bishlosha. It requires three judges in order to create a pshara, a compromise, like we spoke up before. Divri Rabbi Meir. These are the words of Rabbi Meir. Chachamim omrim, but the Chachamim say, pshara biachid. No, pshara, this creating a compromise is not a regular court case, but rather compromise, you need, you could even be do, do it with a singular judge, with one judge. End of the Brayta. Now, what's the, what does this have to do with judging, with less than three? So the Gemara says, Savrua, in order to assume that there's such a debate that reflects Rabbi Yavau and Shmuel's argument, the Chachamim and the Beit Midrash thought, Lekule Alma, that everybody agrees, means both Rabbi Meir and the Chachamim agree, Makshinan Psharaladin. We're going to learn on Amud Bet, there's a pasuk that compares pshara, which is again the ability to arbiter, create compromise in court, ledin, to regular court cases. It's based on a pasuk in Shmuel Bet. Rashi quotes it here. It says mishpat utstaka. Mishpat is regular court cases, and staka, charity, refers to creating pshara, creating compromises. 
So everybody agrees that there is a hekish, a comparison in the verses between regular court cases and pshara and compromises, arbit arbitration. So my love, bahakamiflagi. So then what is the point of debate? Demar savar that Rabbi Meir is of the opinion, din bishlosha, that usual court cases can only be accomplished with three judges. And since there's a hekish between regular court cases and arbitration and compromise, pshara, or we're calling in the pasuk tztaka, so therefore just as regular court cases requires three judges, also you need three judges for compromise. So Rabbi Meir would then come out like the Tana Rabbi Meir would reflect the position in the Amorayim of Rabbi Avo that a court case done with less than three is not effective. Umar Savar and the Chachamim in this Brayta would hold Din Mishnayim, that you could even have a court case done with two people, meaning to say that just as a court case could be done with less than three, let's say two for now, so too a because of the hekish, a compromise can also be accomplished with less than three, as they say in the Brayta, Chachamim say it could even be done with one. So therefore it would come out the Machloket Tanaim, like Shmuel, actually Chachamim would come out like Shmuel, would reflect the Machloket Amoraim. Now like I said before, generally the Gemara does not wish to go with this approach. Even though it sounds nice, you could package it nicely this way. The issue is, why would the Amorayim argue anew as if it's their machloket if it was already discussed before? They should have just said, then it should have just been like this. Shmuel says, I, pa I paskin like the Chachamim, and uh, Rabbi Avo should have said, I paskin like Rabbi Meir. But they don't reference those earlier debates. So it must be that it's actually not a machloket Tanaim, and they both side with one of the Amorayim. So the Gemara therefore says, Lo, no. Really, it could be that everybody agrees, both Rabbi Meir and the Chachamim concede with Rabbi Avo, that Din Bishlosha generally court cases require three judges. So, what is the point of debate regarding arbitration, compromise in this Brayta? Demar Savar, that Rabbi Meir holds, like we said before, that we compare through the Pasuk. Pshara, compromise to din. Just as din, regular court cases require a court of three judges, also compromise requires a court of three judges. We don't necessarily agree with that hekish, with that comparison, and therefore, although din requires three, like Rabbi Avo had told us, when it comes to pshara, you don't need three, you can get away with just one. Beautiful. But what emerges now is we've introduced, as we move on now to the second section, regarding this pshara, and this will take us till tomorrow also, God willing, that there's two types of scenarios that you can have in terms of resolving some sort of a conflict or some sort of a debate, a monetary issue. You can have something called din. Now, din means that they, you go to the front of the judges and they tell you this is after de deliberation, etc. This is the halakha. Or you could have pshara. Now, pshara... It's not exactly going to be what the halakha is, but pshara is going to be some sort of a compromise. Okay, You'll get this, you'll get that, and hopefully everybody goes home happy. And we'll actually discuss tomorrow if this is considered something appropriate or not. But what would emerge, the Gemara is about to suggest, is it appears that there are actually three shitot in the Tanaim, three opinions in the Tanaim regarding how many people are necessary to create an arbitration, a compromise. We had the position of Rabbi Meir, as we said in the Brayta just now, you need three. We have the position of Rabbi Shum ben Gamliel that we learned yesterday in the Tosefta, 
who said that you actually can get away with two. Remember the Tosef at the bottom of Ham would bet. Rashim Gamil said the difference between Pshara and Din of compromise and regular court cases is that Pshara could have two. And now we have in this Braita, we have the Chachamim who say you could have one. So it seems to be three Shitot in the Tanaim regarding the number of judges required for arbitration. So Leima the Gemara says, let us suggest. There's three positions in the Tanaim regarding arbitration. Demar Savar Rabbi Meir in this last Brayta holds Bishlosha. You need three judges for arbitration. Omar Savar Shemingamil quoted yesterday Bishnayim. It's sufficient for compromise to have two judges. Omar Savar, but the Chachamim in this last Brayta hold Biyachid. It's enough to even have just one. So the Gemara says it's not necessarily three opinions. So we're about to show, really, the Chachamim Rashim Gamliel could be one opinion. The one who says, which is Rashim Gamliel, Trey, that you need two, really, he would hold, you don't need three. The point is, you don't need three judges for arbitration. That's the Chumrav judgment over arbitration, over compromise. That judgment requires three judges, and arbitration, you don't need three, which means you could even get away with one. So really, Rabbi Shimon Gamil would concede to the Chachamim here. So why does he say two then? The reason he says two, in order that there is testimony about it. Meaning, he's giving good advice. Saying like this, regarding this type of uh, outcome, which is arbitration or compromise, what you would want is that the litigants who come in front of the arbiter have some sort of a testimony against them or for them in terms of the agreement that they had agreed upon initially, as this is not a normal case of judgment where you'll have three judges. And therefore, in order to confirm that and as a testament to the future, it's a good idea to have two people there who can act as a deem as witnesses. So he's saying, really to arbitrate, to create a compromise, you only need one. But in order that there could be people who testify, i.e. these two judges, later, because you need two people in general for testimony in the Torah, in order that there's a testimony as to the fact that they agreed to a system of arbitration of compromise and what the conditions of that will be at the end, it's a good idea to have two judges there because two judges, two people can act as witnesses, as a deem that this is what occurred and this was the outcome. So that's all Rabbi Shimon is saying. He's not necessarily disagreeing though. One would also be binding for compromise. Two is just a good idea. So there's testimony for the reality and outcome of this arbitration. Okay. Continues the Gemara in this discussion about compromise. Amar Ravashi. Now, let me just speak this out. Ravashi is about to say, and we'll see it inside. Ravashi says like this. There is, Ravashi really addresses a point that we haven't yet discussed. When we talk about arbitration, compromise, one could say, and really Tosafot gets into this in a minute, that, okay, so they came in front of two, uh, one person, or two people, or three people for that matter, for some sort of arbitration, right? For some sort of a compromise. The Beit Din said, this is what we, or the, the judge that was taking care of this compromise scenario, this is what I think is the accurate conclusion in terms of, I, I would suggest, in terms of a compromise. Now, there is discussion if compromise, such a thing, is only binding when there's actually a physical kinyan that's made, a physical acquisition. Generally in halacha, to have some sort of a binding reality, there has to be a kinyan, some sort of a physical reality. Very often what we'll do is a kinyan sudar, which is somebody will pick up a kerchief, which is symbolically effective in terms of creating a kinyan. 
So what Rav Ashi is going to say is, although one would suggest in order for this to be halachically binding, there should be some sort of a physical action, a kinyan, the fact that Rav Meir says, and there's a shita of Rabbi Meir, you need three judges to have uh, a case of arbitration effective, it must be you don't need a kinyan. Why? Why, why is that true? Because, he says like this, if you did indeed need a kenyan, you shouldn't need three judges. It should, be, it should be sufficient to have two judges, and then you make some sort of a physical kenyan at the end. That would be enough. But Rabbi Meir says you need three judges for arbitration. Why is he saying three? Because it must be you don't need a kenyan, some sort of a physical acquisition, to conclude arbitration, or to focus through it. He's not clear if at the beginning of arbitration you would make this kenyan or after, but either way, the fact that you need three, according to Rabbi Meir, shows it's because you don't need a kinyan. Because if you did need a kinyan, two would be sufficient. Kinyan would make it binding. Ella, it must be you need three to give it the significance of a court so that the arbitration is upheld because otherwise you wouldn't have a kinyan anyways and that would be uh, not binding. So the Gemara says like this, Amravashi. Shmami and no, we could deduce from a mayor's position that you need three judges. And when it comes to compromise, this type of a conclusive outcome, you don't need some sort of a kinyan. Because if it entered your mind, that you do need a kinyan in order to create a reality that the arbitration is upheld, why would Rabbi Meir say you need three judges? It should be sufficient to have two for arbitration, and do a kinyan at the end. Meaning, as Rashi explains here, essentially what the judges are saying is, this is what we decided based on compromise, and you're giving a gift to him. That's what we essentially decided. And it would be sufficient to have two judges, some sort of a kinyan to lock it in, make it effective, and that's enough. Must be, you don't do a kinyan. And since you're not doing a kinyan, you need the koach of a beitin of three people. That's why Rabbi Meir says you have three. So v'haraya, you don't need a kinyan when it comes to arbitration. But the Gemara says it's not true. This is not the psak. V'hilchita. Paskins, the Gemara, the Halacha is Pshara Tzricha Kinyan. Actually, Pshara, when it comes to compromises, you do need a formal transactional Kinyan, some sort of a physical action of Kinyan. And Rashi says, even according to Rabbi Meir, so even according to Rabbi Meir, that you have a court of three in order to enact and to adjudicate uh, compromises, you still need a Kinyan of sorts. And again, Tosafot goes through, is that Kinyan done before or after? I've heard that, uh, that uh, some places in, in Din Torah today, when they do arbitration, they sign a document at the beginning of it. Maybe that's like a Kinyan, I'm not exactly sure. But the point is, the Gemara's paskening, there does have to be some physical Kinyan in order to lock in the outcome of a arbitration. Let's finish up here. Tan Rabbanan, the Brayta teaches as follows. Kishem Shadin Bishlosha, just as court cases require, regular court cases, three judges, Kach Bitsuwa Bishlosha. Compromises, Pshara, also requires three judges. So the Gemara, Paskins like Rabbi Meir, you need three judges, like really, Paskins like Rabbi Avo, in terms of just as uh, court cases require three, also Bitsuwa, also like Rabbi Meir, the Psak is that. Compromise requires three judges to adjudicate. Turning to Vav Mudbet, Nigmar Hadin, but once the case has been concluded, the judges are not allowed to create a compromise anymore. Now Rashi says something a little bit confusing. <coughs> I'll tell you how Tosafot explains it. 
What is Nigmar Adin? So Rashi learns when the case has been concluded, She'amru ish ploni ata zakai ish ploni ata chayav, means that the, the, the judges who judged a certain case, and this was a regular court case, not an arbitration, they've already told the two litigants, you are chayav and you are zakai, means you owe him money and you are owed money. Once they've already meted out their judgment, they're not allowed then to make a compromise after. So the Rishonim speak out against Rashi. They don't say, I don't understand. Once they've meted out judgment, of course they can't, meaning it's already finished. And also, of course they can't make a compromise. No one's going to want to listen to them. Meaning once this guy knows that he's owed money, he's not going to agree to a compromise. So what's Rashi saying exactly? So Tosafot explains Rashi. Though Rashi means, he says a It's a little bit difficult. It's Tosafot Nigmar Adin at the end of the Tosafot. He says, it's a little bit difficult, but you could say, Maybe what they could say is like this. You would have thought that even though they were meeting out judgment, they would say like this. Maybe you would have thought that they could do this. They could say to the one who is, owed the money or owing the money. This is what we concluded. You're innocent and you're guilty, but we might be making a mistake so we would encourage you to have a compromise. That's what the Gemara is saying you're not allowed to do. Now the other Rishonim and Tosafot seems to say this, it's not when they meted out the case already because he doesn't like that approach so much that Rashi says, but rather meaning when they've already gone through the facts Actually, Tosafot at the beginning says, Meaning they haven't meted it out yet, but they've come to some sort of a conclusion in their own minds. So there the Gemara is saying, at that point it wouldn't be appropriate for them to arbiter, to create some sort of a compromise when they've already concluded what the right outcome would be based on Din, based on the Psaq of the Torah. That's going to be how Tosafot learns. But again, Rashi learns it means once they've meted out judgment, they're not able to create a compromise, as Tosafot is explaining, to pretend at least, maybe we're making a mistake, so let's make a arbitration, that they're not allowed to do. They have to meet it out as they have concluded and have told them is Chayav and Zakai. Now we're going to stop here at the top of Vav Mudbet, but actually, as we'll continue tomorrow with Vav Mudbet, the Gemara is going to go through explaining, is arbitration even considered something virtuous? Is it something that's problematic? This general idea about uh, Pshara making this kind of a compromise. Zat Hashem will pick up tomorrow from Vav Mudbet, the top line of the page. Everyone have a wonderful day.